thank you, ladies. Thank you for the choir item. I guess it wasn't the choir because it was a special, but it was a blessing. Good evening, Numbers chapter number 22. How about you find that in your Bibles? We've already had the reading tonight and uh, just going to give you some really simple thoughts uh, from that passage. I uh, hope you've had a, a blessed day. Uh, to be honest, I already felt a, you know, I didn't feel a bad tone last night, at least not until I got up to preach. But, uh, uh, but, uh, but already tonight feels uh, quite warm and, and uh, good that you're here, and I think uh, probably most of you want to be here. So that's a good thing, because the Lord knows that kind of thing, and I think when we gather with a sense of expectation, then, you know, He will even minister to us, uh, even if he has to use crumbs, so to speak. So uh, it is good to be here. Uh, I'm going to uh, talk to you tonight, just a, a simple message, something I've been thinking about. This, I, I don't think there's anything profound here, uh, but it has to do with, I think, of the theme of a lot of the uh, songs tonight, and that is with reaching the lost and and uh, being uh, mindful of what the Lord would have us to do in terms of preaching the gospel, uh, you may think, well, you know, you go on about that a lot. Uh, I'd suggest to you that it's the main thing that God is thinking about right now. And uh, you have to understand that, uh, you've got to understand what it was that God always wanted. You know, when God made uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, it was God's desire that God would have people who would want to love him and would want to be with him. And uh, he didn't make robots. They had the ability to make choices. Uh, and in fact, it was uh, needful that there would be an alternative, uh, that one tree that they were not to partake of, so they could show their love to God. And, and obedience was their way to say, no, we don't choose the fruit, we choose you. And uh, we don't choose what is, uh, you know, attractive to our eyes or uh, we, 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 we want you. We want to walk with you each day. And God has always wanted that. And you, you have to understand that that's always been God's desire. And then, of course, the fall happened. And what happened after that was that we became cut off from God and alienated away from him. And so God uh, initiated uh, uh, the plan of salvation that I, I think he knew aforetime. And uh, his plan was to provide a way that people could be saved from their sins and come back to him and, uh, and believe on him and people who want to be saved. And what will happen at the end of the age is that God will actually end up with what he always wanted. And he's going to end up with a group of people from all nations around the whole world and of many different language groups and all tribal groups and all of those people that will be with the Lord in the end will be people who wanted to be with him. They, they chose for him in their life. Do you understand that? And, uh, and, and they're there because they want to be there. And, uh, and they, they came and they received of him and they believed on him. And so, so what, is, what is God about today? Well, he's the, the, the main thing that is on the mind of the Lord today is still the reaching of the lost. Uh, it's the reason that he sent Jesus into the world. 
And uh, it's still the chief thing that, that God is uh, working for and trying to do in our day. Now, uh, it's also important, I understand, that we need to be taught uh, about how to live our lives and how to raise our families and, and we need to be instructed in the, in the outworking of the Christian life in uh, prayer and giving and, and many other things that the Bible teaches us and I don't minimise that but, but it is the main thing that God is about in our time is he's wanting to reach more people like he reached you. And, uh, and he wants to reach them and he wants them to know him and he wants them to grow in him, but he's wanting to reach more people. And if there's a reason that Jesus has not come back already, then that is the reason. He's waiting. He's waiting for a few more. Uh, we had some folks saved in Thailand last year. Uh, the, 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 the global, you know, COVID mess uh, at least for us, it turned out to be one of our most fruitful years. And I don't think COVID did that, but, but it just turned out to be a particularly fruitful year last year in terms of seeing new converts and people saved. And it was very encouraging to me. You know, sometimes you see God do some miraculous things and because they are miraculous and they're not common, what you think is, well, I was glad to see that in my life. I'll probably never see that again. And I think I look back on the early years of our ministry in Thailand and we saw so many miraculous things happen, I thought, well, that probably will never be repeated. And, uh, you know, we've always have a trickle of people getting saved, thank God, but I thought it'll probably never happen like it did back then. And then last year, uh, we had a, a, a second wave. Well, that's the right word, right? I, you say you've got the COVID speak, good pastor. We had, uh, we had a second wave, but a good one. And, uh, and it swept through. And uh, numbers of new men got saved and, uh, uh, you know, came in to us and uh, some stayed with us and, uh, you know, ladies as well. But, uh, but, but so many uh, new men were being reached that my staff said to me, in fact, they were chatting with themselves, they said, do you think he has a plan to replace us? Because he's, he's brought in and they, they said to me, you, do you have a plan to replace us? And I said, no, I have a plan to add to you. Not to, not to replace you. And so then I had to do some teaching about when God enlarges the pond, you know, because you can be a big fish in a small pond. And, uh, but when God enlarges the pond, you know, he's not shrinking you, but you might feel a bit smaller. And you've got to get over that. Anytime God is growing a church, he's enlarging the pond. And, you know, we ought to rejoice that new fish are coming in amongst us. It's the Lord's doing. So we, we did a little teaching on that. Uh, but the chief thing that I believe God is about, and I think the thing that he wants talked about, you know, a bit, is uh, that we need to be reaching the lost. And, and, and I believe that he would be calling upon his ministers, his preachers, uh, to be declaring that, that this, that this is important, that we must not lose sight of it. Uh, don't just live your life unto yourself, but be mindful of the lost and what you can do. And so I was looking at this passage and, uh, and knowing uh, the way that the people of that time thought about asses or, or donkeys, we might say, uh, it was kind of amazing that God used this ass in this way. And uh, the Jews would have sort of, would have meant more to them than it probably did to us. Uh, you know, I think Shrek has ruined this passage for us <laughs> because, uh, you know, we, we don't give it its due weight. Uh, but, uh, you know, an ass in that time was just considered a, 
a beast of burden, a lowly animal, uh, not despised, uh, useful. Uh, but, you know, if you called someone an ass, and we still do it today, uh, that saying is still around today, uh, it's not said in a favourable way. It, it's likened unto somebody being a bit brainless or, or, uh, or, or reckless, uh, you know, somebody like... Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> enough damage was done last night, right? Um, but, uh, you know, we use the saying, and I understand that because uh, in Thailand, uh, buffaloes are the equivalent to that. And, uh, and I didn't know that when I first went there. You have to learn culture along the way. But a buffalo in Thailand is just considered a very lowly creature. And it's a funny thing because, you know, you see them being used in the field and, and they, they care for them and uh, they're very much a part of their history, their life. And, uh, and you know, they're, they're, they're sort of always there. You know, many times I've seen postcard Asian sunsets you know, where you just, the sun is setting and as far as you can see are green rice fields and uh, you'll see a couple of buffaloes out there. Make, and it just looks like, you know, something from a travel brochure or something like that. And, uh, and I look at that and I think, boy, I should see pictures like that on the wall of, you know, travel agencies when such things were there. And, but they have a strange relationship with buffaloes. So they have that, but then the worst thing you can call a person is a buffalo. And, uh, and really, really serious, more, more, they, they don't have uh, cuss words in their language. So, so, you know, I don't need to tell you that we do have them in our language. When people are being vulgar, uh, they will use words that, you know, you know what I'm referring to, just cuss words that are just cuss words. Well, they don't have cuss words in their language. And uh, so if they call somebody something, and, you know, they'll get heated, if they call somebody something the worst thing you can call someone is a buffalo. And uh, so it's kwai in, uh, in, in Thai. And if they, if they said that, and I hate even saying it in Thai because I, I feel like I'm swearing in front of you. But if they say, you know, if they fight, they'll go kwai. And it's like using a really strong word here. And people will fight and people have died uh, over that. Well, I didn't know that. I, I remember just getting there and and uh, trying to work with people, and one of the men had had a, a fight with his girlfriend, and I was trying to comfort him. He clearly was heartbroken and upset, and I'm listening, and he's sobbing a little bit, and I remember he said, and she, and she called me. <laughs> you know, he's crying, and, and, I, and he's saying, she called me. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> Buffalo. And, and I went, <laughs> he wasn't laughing. He was like, looked at me. And I was like, oh, you know. And, and I was looking at I was, you know. And then I realized that's just the worst thing you can call someone. And so it's a funny thing. But, but to this culture, you know, it's a bit like that with an ass. And then to read that, that God, that God uh, used an ass to speak forth truth and to say things that uh, others had not said and to, to before he even spoke, uh, to use this animal uh, to rescue somebody who was about to uh, perish. Uh, it's a picture for us. And uh, it's, a, it's a picture 
of how God can use anybody to, to speak forth a message that will result in somebody else being saved. And I love the fact that you don't have to be great or special uh, or highly educated or deeply knowledgeable about lots of stuff to be used of God. Uh, God can use anybody, and here God used an ass. Uh, I met a family in America a few years ago, and I kept coming across this family, so it was the same surname kept popping up. And, uh, and I'd meet this one, and they'd say, uh, Pastor Shemish, do you know Pastor Havman? And I'd say, uh, and I'd greet Pastor Havman, and then it would come up again, I'd meet another one, and they'd say, uh, do, you, do you know uh, Pastor Havman? I thought, I thought I knew one. And there was another one, and then I met another one, and he was a missionary. They said, do you know missionary Havman? And, and I was like, and they just kept coming up, and then finally I got to meet Dad. And uh, Dad's name is John Havman. I don't know if he'll ever get to Australia. But uh, John Havman is just an extraordinary fellow uh, who God saved in an amazing way. And uh, from John Havman's salvation, John Havman is a pastor. He's in, he's in uh, Montana right now, uh, pastoring up there. It'd be pretty chilly up there right now. Uh, but he's pastoring. He lost his dear beloved wife just uh, you know a couple of years ago. But he's uh, serving God and just has had a remarkable legacy in his family, and uh, that all his sons are pastors or missionaries. And uh, and uh, you know uh, it just sort of happened that way. And and listen, they're all living for God. They're all they're all excited for God. They're all. They've all still got their zeal. They've got their own kids grown up, but they've got a zeal for God. They've got a passion for Christ. They want to reach the lost. They love missions. And they're just great people to be around. And, and so all the boys, and he had one daughter, and she married a missionary, and they're missionaries over in Hawaii. And Spencer, Brother Spencer Baker, that some of you know. And so, so you know, it was, I was just curious, how did all this happen? You know, because it's just a great story. And, 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 and so I, I met John Havman one day. They, say, they said to me, before I met him, they said, have you met John Havman? And I said, I, I, I'm not sure. They said, Brother Shemish, if you'd met him, you'd remember. They said, because you don't meet John Havman, you experience him. And I said, oh, really? And so one day I did, in fact, get to experience him. And uh, I've become quite attached to him. He's, a, he's a, just, a, just a great guy, a, a lovely servant of Christ, very unusual in his manner, uh, but, but wonderfully used of God. And so I asked the boys, I said, well, just how does this come to be that, that there's, you know, this many of you in the ministry and the daughters as a missionary, and how, how did all that come to Christ? And they said, now that's an interesting story. And what happened was they said, Brother Shemish, here's a picture of our dad before he got saved. And uh, now you've got to understand, he's an independent Baptist pastor now. He's a bit wild, but he's, he's still, you know, he's still IB when you look at him. And so, so uh, you'll maybe experience him one day. And uh, so uh, they showed me a picture. And uh, here's this picture of this, this hippie. You know, I mean, he's got hair down to here. It's all flowing all the way down to here. And he's, he's kind of, you know, laid back. And, and, you know, if you didn't know, that you, just, you, could, you couldn't connect it up. And they said, this, is, this was dad. And I said, wow. I said, how did dad, you know, how did he get saved? 
And they said, well, here's what happened. They said, like, he was a dope smoker and, you know, it fitted the picture. And uh, they said he was, he was out one night uh, looking to steal a CB radio out of a tractor to sell it and go and buy some more dope. And so he's, he's out on a farm and he's working on a tractor to knock off the CB radio to go and sell it and get some money to go and buy dope. And uh, someone sees him and the police are called and the police come and they get him and uh, they take him to the farmer's house and they're going to charge him and, you know, he's whatever, where that's going to lead to. And the farmer says, you know, he says to the policeman, small town, you know, he says, uh, just, you know, just leave John here with me. Don't, 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 don't worry about John, I'll take care of John. And so the, the policeman did that and, and left. And that farmer, uh, just, just right there and then, uh, shared with John Havman the gospel of Christ. And, his, and how he needed to be saved and just really simply how he could be saved. And that was the, that was the, that was the moment that John Havman got saved. Now, no one knows that bloke's name, the farmer. He's just the farmer. In fact, one of the boys said to me last year, he said, I, I, he said I, you know, he'd be getting way old now. I didn't know if he was still alive. And I went back to the farm and he said, I just wanted to go say thank you to him. He said, because he didn't even know what came out of it all. And so one of the boys, uh, uh, Pastor Tim, uh, went back there, met the farmer, sat down and said, I'm John Havman's son. And he explained all what the different ones in the family were doing. And he said, just, he, I said, what was he like? He said, just a quiet farmer. He said, he hardly spoke. He said, I, I, I don't know how many people he ever spoke to in his life. But just a, a, a simple, a simple man who just spoke for Christ and, and spoke the gospel when opportunity afforded him. And God used someone like that to, to just great results. And let me say, uh, extended fruit. Because all of those other people have led many people to Christ themselves. Uh, both on the foreign field uh, and in their area. So, so God, God, God can use, God can use you. Uh, God can use anybody. Why uh, God used Balaam's donkey? Number one, because the donkey could see what Balaam could not. Because the donkey could see what Balaam could not, and uh, what the donkey could see was that the angel of the Lord was standing there with a drawn sword in his hand and, uh, and he knew what was about to befall Balaam. You know, when you get saved, you get sight and uh, you see things and you understand things that you did not understand before. Uh, I see in Thailand, when our people get saved, they get Christ, uh, they get a home in heaven, they're born again indwelt by the Spirit of God, they become sanctified as God begins to change their life from within and from without. But, but in addition to that, they get sight. They understand what things are. Uh, they will testify. They, they will say to me, Ajahn, which is pastor, Ajahn, uh, before I knew Jesus, 
uh, it was like I was in a dark room and I knew there were things there, but I didn't know what they were. And, and I would stumble, this is their story, I would stumble around and sometimes I would touch things in that dark room and it would scare me because I knew there was something there, but I didn't know what it was. But when I came to Jesus, it was like he turned on the light and I could see what things were. And I understood what I, I did not need to be afraid of. And when you get saved, you get sight. You get sight. And that's why most Bible-believing Christians are not buying it that the world is going to get destroyed by climate change. Because we have sight. We understand that that's not the big issue of the day. Uh, we understand that that's not how it's all going to end. And uh, we, we, we've been able to see things that they can't see. And we understand that actually, uh, uh, you know, this world is running out of time. And, uh, and we, we get it that there is a heaven and heaven is there and it's not fictional. It's a real place and God dwells there. And we, we also understand there's a hell, a place of eternal fire and torment and punishment. And we know that it's not fictional. We know it's there. And we un we, we've got sight to be able to see things and we know that, that people are going to meet their end and we're not the people who say when some atheist, God-denying cricket announcer dies, well, uh, now he's up in heaven playing cricket with his mates. We don't say things like that because we know that's not true. And uh, we, we, don't, we don't say when some uh, rebellious rock star dies that, you know, he's now uh, playing in heaven with his other mates and they're... They're having a good old concert up there. We, we, we get it that that's just a lie. We've got sight. We can see things they can't see. And, and that's part of the reason they don't understand you. Because you can see what they can't see. And uh, this donkey had the ability to see what Balaam could not see. But let me say this. With sight comes obligation to speak. And it's often easier to not speak because many of us understand when I speak and when I say what I know and when I say what I see, I'm going to pay a price for that. And, uh, and uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to pay a price and I'm going to be ostracized and, and I'm going to be targeted and uh, there's going to, there's a lot of attention will come on me and I'll be mocked. And it can be hard, but with sight comes obligation. If you, if you drove home tonight and you looked out your window and you saw a house on fire, you know that you have an obligation to do something about that. And you at least would know, I can't just drive on and say, I saw nothing. I at least need to make a call. I at least need to get someone to come and organise a rescue. I've got to do something. And with sight comes obligation. And this is what God was saying to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3 when he made him a watchman. Now, now don't, don't lose in our frequency of preaching these things that these are not just uh, preacher stories. God said, uh, let me give you an analogy, Ezekiel, to what you are. Ezekiel, you are likened unto a watchman. Now, Ezekiel knew what a watchman was, but God made that connection. You see what I'm saying? 
God said, that's what you are. And if God says, that's what you are, brethren, that's what you are. Because nobody can define you like God can define you. You know, if, if you try to work out who you are without God, you'll never know who you are. You'll be listening to all kinds of people tell you who you are. And you won't know who you are. It's God who knows who you are. And that's, let me say, that's for the saved and the unsaved alike. Once you let God define who you are, tell you who you are. And so God said to Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 3, verse 17, 18, it goes on, but those two verses are enough for tonight. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Well, who has he made a watchman under the nation of Australia? Or are there none? No, no, for sure he's made some a watchman unto this nation. And, and if, it, if it's not us, who is it? You see, because we have the sight. We, we know. We can see. We know what's coming. We, we, we know where all this goes. He said, I've made thee a watchman on the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Give them warning from me. You tell them what is coming. You say, Brother Shemish, I don't think they'd welcome that. I think you're right. But should you obey God or should you obey men? I tell you what bothers me is that when someone has the courage to speak up and then even the brethren go quiet. Boy, that, that bothers me a lot. When even the brethren say, well, I'm not sure you should have said that. Well, well, how much, how much of the Bible should I not say? You know, what, what, how about I give it to you and you just give me back the parts that people will like? Truth of it is, you wouldn't have much. It disturbs me when, listen, one of our, then if you didn't do it yourself, at least have the courage to back them and, uh, and stand up and say, well, what they said was true. And it doesn't matter if it was liked or not liked, the man spoke the truth of God and, and back the people who do. We're supposed to be a watchman. God said, give them warning from me and tell them, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, well, I'm not going to tell, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. What's going to happen to him will happen to him anyway, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Now, now, now Paul spoke in the New Testament about not having blood on his hands. This is not just Old Testament sort of, you know, prophet stuff. This is, this is God saying that, that you know, the, the wicked will die because of his own sins. But I asked you to warn him. I, I asked you to speak. You say, well, well, God, I don't know they'll listen. Our warning is not conditional upon who listens or who doesn't. Speaking truth is not conditional upon the kind of reception you receive when you give it out. You're supposed to just say it. And it's getting hard. It's getting hard. It's getting harder because uh, the nation is getting more obstinate and more angry against God. 
I've said to someone just this past week, I remember a time in Australia where I wouldn't say everybody was godly, but they were, they were God-respecting. You know, my great-great-grandparents, uh, you know, helped build the Presbyterian Church at Mudry Bar. And you just did that back then. That's what people did. It was part of your community and, and you had a part in that, even if you weren't super godly yourself. They weren't all godly, but, but there was a God respect at least. People at least were careful not to say you know, bad things about God or religion. If they thought it, they kept it mostly to themselves. And then we moved from that part of Australian life to, to you know, the second stage, which I'll call indifference. And indifference was just, I don't care anymore. Don't want to know about it. Don't care about it. Uh, Aussie life's been good to me, life in the sun. And uh, I'm doing all right, thanks, mate. And uh, just an indifference. And then now we've moved out of indifference and we've come into a new area that I will define as aggression. And now we have an aggression against God. And uh, we, we have people now who would kill God if they could. And don't doubt that. There's, a, there's an anger there and probably would kill some others if they could. And there's an aggression against God and a, an aggression of anything that is of God. And uh, we, we're now going through that. Yeah, it's getting harder. But God, God, you know, God used the donkey because the donkey could see some things that Balaam could not. Number two, why did God use the donkey? Because nobody else there was doing anything. Now, now, and it really, you know, it's not small print, but it's just a little reference there in verse 22. It tells us there were two servants with, with Balaam. And yet God uses a donkey. You know, the problem with these two servants are they what we might call the silent servants. They're mentioned, but, but nothing is heard of them. And, uh, and they, they weren't too helpful to Balaam in their life. And there's too many silent servants who aren't doing anything, but... But, but God said, well, I'll, I'm going to use someone, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something here, I'm going to use someone, I'll, I'll use the donkey, I'll use the ass. And God did that. And because nobody else was doing anything. You know, you don't have to be special to be outstanding now. If you, if you just speak up, boy, you, you're already, in a, in a, you, you already propel yourself above everybody else. Because so many are silent. And have been uh, intimidated into fear. And just not speaking and just not doing anything. When I first went to Nakhon Sawan, our city's about three hours north of Bangkok. And it was a hard place. Uh, I didn't know, I know now, I didn't know then that there had been a couple of attempts before I got there to uh, preach the gospel and start a church. And both times those missionaries had left one after a year, one after about a year and a half, and it was hard. But I do remember getting there and sensing the, the difficulty of it and the darkness. If you did live where Suzanne and I live, and you know every window that we look out, we can see large Buddha statues everywhere on the mountains, eight stories high, and, and uh, temples everywhere. And I'm not saying that's, I'm just saying that's just where we live. And uh, you'll hear the sounds of that going on all the time, and and it's just been well established. It's just been there for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's just there and there's a certain darkness there. And I can remember feeling a little bit, uh, little bit intimidated, like what do you do and uh, how, how do you go about reaching these people and what should I do? And 
You know, God just used a, uh, you know, I'll say a donkey kindly. God used a donkey to teach me a lesson. And I was there in that town. And when you fill up fuel in, in Thailand, they still put it in the car for you. And so you just pull up and they will ask you how much and they put the fuel in, then you pay. And if you're kind, you might give them a little tip or at least I think foreigners should do that. I, I try to do that. So I was getting fuel at a service station in Nakhon Sawan. There's a few of them there. And most of the people who pump fuel in Thailand are not Thai, they're Burmese. So the Burmese are kind of like the Mexicans in America. They do the jobs that the Thais don't want to do. And they do it at a lot lesser rate, and uh, they're just glad. Burma's about 30 years behind Thailand. And so they will come down, some legal, some illegally. And uh, so the, the little fellow, you know, a little boy was pumping the fuel, and uh, I'd give him a tip, and, you know, he'd smile. And uh, he's Burmese. And, uh, and, and I, at first I thought he was Thai. And then the, some of the Thai people I know said, no, he's not Thai, he's Burmese. I said, oh, okay. They said, oh, so it's all Burmese who do these jobs. And I said, oh, okay, you know, you all look the same to me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, now they don't, by the way. Now I can distinguish. Uh, now I can work out even what part of Thailand you come from by how you look. But back then, everybody looked the same. And, uh, and so uh, I said, well, I'll have a go with this guy. So I, I said, well, you know, I'm trying to talk to him. He's Burmese, so he doesn't speak any... English, and his Thai is kind of his second. He's just trying to learn enough Thai to be able to keep working there. But Burmese is his language. Well, you know, I'm from Australia. English is my language, and I, I got a little bit of Thai, but not great. So we're both using our second language. And his was about as bad as mine. And so, you know, I'm trying to talk, and he seems friendly, and I say, you know, you want to go out and, you know, let's eat. You want to eat. And he's like, mm Okay, okay. And so we finally communicate and go out and, and we, we're eating. Conversation is difficult. And I'm trying to ask a few things and it's just really hard because he doesn't speak, it's not his first language. I'm trying to talk in our second language. Talking to him a little while. Finally, I'm taking him back to his little place. He lives in a little wooden shack behind the petrol station where all the Burmese people live. I'm about to take him back. We stop at the park. There's a massive park in Nakansawan. Pastor's been there. Danny runs there. And, uh, and we stopped there, we're talking for a while, and then he says to me, sitting there, it's kind of gone quiet, and then he's sitting on a, I'm sitting on a rock, and he's just sort of sitting a bit low on me, and he looks up and he says to me, um, do you know about God? Now, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Thailand. This place is 96% Buddhist, 3.5% Muslim, uh, the other 5% is probably Catholic and whatever else. And somebody has just mentioned the word God. And he says, uh, do you know about God? And I, I looked at him and I said, what about God? And, he, and then he, it was like a fish had gone, you know, started biting. And, and his eyes lit up and he said, uh, about Jesus about Jesus. He used the word Jesus. I was shocked. And I said, what about Jesus? I want to see, what is this real? What is this? I said, what about Jesus? And he looked at me, he said, you have to believe on Jesus to go to heaven. And I'm, I'm not looking, I'm the missionary, folks. 
I'm, I'm the missionary. And I'm sitting there, and he says, you have to believe on Jesus to go to heaven. And so then I say, hmm, well, what if I don't? Now, I'm, I'm testing his theology a little bit. So I, I say, what if I don't? And he goes, if you don't believe on Jesus? <laughs> I don't think he knew the English word for hell. I don't think he knew the Thai word, but he knew where it was. And so he said, if you don't, he goes, and I said, oh, I, I, I will go to hell. Very bold, very bold. See, because, because in that culture, there's Thais and then there's Burmese. And then you bring in a Westerner and he's probably up here somewhere. So here's, here's, this, here's this little kid. He, I mean, he looked like a little kid. He's probably 17, 18, but he's about this big. And here he is, he's just launching out to tell someone about Jesus. And, uh, and uh, finally, I thought, well, I can't keep this charade going on anymore. I need, to, I need to let him know I'm really saved. And we just moved into town. And, and I said, okay, okay, okay. I said, you know what? I said, I'm a Christian already. And he didn't believe me. <laughs> he, he, he looked at me and he went... <laughs> and I said, no, no, really, I'm, I'm, I'm really a Christian. Mm. He said, where do you go to church? So he said, where do you go to church? And we were just meeting in our lounge room. And I said, well, in my lounge room. And he went, mm. <laughs> so he did, mm. And then he said to me, he said, he said, you, he said, you need to come to church with me this Sunday. And I said, uh, no, 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 I, I, really, I really am saved. I'm really. But, but God used that to, to, to show me, speak up. You know, if this boy can do this, he has no authority, he has no, no power. You know what he had? He had a real conversion because he'd come from one of those other dark places and he'd found Christ. And I tell you what, to this day, it's been 10 years, to, to this day he's fervent hot for Jesus. And uh, he's married now and, and he's, he, I mean, he's in church four times on Sunday and he's just living for Christ and We'll text, he moved into Bangkok, and we'll text, and I'll say, his name's Don, I call him Burma Don. And uh, I'll say, Burma Don, I don't think it'll be long and Jesus will be here. And uh, he'll text back uh, an emoji, big smiley, you know, and uh, amen. And Burma Don taught me, speak up. God used a donkey to do his work because nobody else was. You don't have to be special. You just have to be willing you don't have to have it all scripted. You, you may not even have the language clear. But you just, if you just speak, listen, God is looking to put his anointing on somebody who'll preach Christ. And God will bridge the gaps. God will fix up the stuff you drop and get wrong and you go home and wish you'd said it better. And God will take that if you'll just speak. And God used the donkey because nobody else there was doing anything. Number three, because God would rather save Balaam than slay Balaam. That's the third reason God used an ass here. You know, God, God will execute judgment. And when the angel of the Lord is standing there with a drawn sword, listen, it's not a game. And it wasn't, it wasn't an idle threat. It was, it was headed one way. But the mercy of God was that, look, Look, I'd, I'd rather save you than slay you. And that's still the heartbeat of God. 
God, God, listen, there is a hell. And if you die in your sins, there is no second chance. And you're not going to pop up somewhere again. Uh, To die in your sins means you're eternally condemned in your sins. And God will never allow sin into heaven. To die in your sins means you and your sins are together forever. You'll never get to go to heaven. And there is a hell and there, there there is a judgment. But the heart of God is still to see people saved. And, and I, 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 I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how we lose sight of that. I, I wonder how we say we know him, but we just don't get that part or not enough. Uh, I wonder how we don't see that there's just a great wickedness on the earth and yet he just... He patiently waits a little bit longer. He stays his hand of judgment a little bit longer. And, and it's, just, it's just because God has a great mercy and a great compassion to want to see people get saved. And, and if you've lost your compassion, you've lost your closeness to Christ. That's the truth. And, and I fear it. I fear it. If, 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 I, if, I, if I sit in a service, it does happen to me sometimes. If I sit in a service and I feel nothing, I fear it. I say, oh God, it's happening. I'm here and, and they're singing, I don't feel anything. God, there's preaching and I'm not getting anything. And I don't blame the preacher or the, the singers. Or the, I, I, I got a problem. And I don't like that. I fear that. I can't live a life like that. I, I, can't, I can't play Christianity. I can't live that way. I never came in that way and I can't live that way. And I pray, God, help me. You know, Jesus said that when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. And, you know, what are we moved with? Sometimes we're moved with indignation or we're, we're just, I don't know what we're moved with. But compassion for men's souls, it just doesn't seem to be there. And he was moved with compassion. The Bible says, and you know this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise to do with his coming, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Aren't you glad he waited for you? I mean, I mean, brother, he could have come before you got saved. You, you, he could have come before you had a chance to hear the gospel and pray the prayer and receive Christ, but he waited for you. He waited. I have Thai people say, thank God you came. But they're very moved. They say, if you don't come, we'll still be lost. And, 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 you know, thank God he sent you. I mean, God is just, there is a compassion there that we need to let that take hold of us. God doesn't want to judge people. He'd rather judge their sins on Christ, his son, and see them get saved. God's heart is moved towards the plight of men. I, I pray that I don't lose being moved by the need of the third world. And, and let me tell you, it'll test you. Because when you just live there for 15 years, nothing is funny or a novelty. It's just life. It's just like doing life here. It's just life. You wake up and the same things are always there. And, and, and you, but I, I, I thank God that still daily, I, I can't drive anywhere without looking out the window and I'm frequently moved at the state of things. Uh, 
I'll walk in an area I'm frequently moved about, about the need. And I, I, feel, I feel great pity that these people have not even heard. And I, I feel great pity at seeing the fruits of sin wreck and destroy their lives because they haven't even heard about Christ. And I believe that is the heart of God. And, and I believe we, we, we've got to have that and we've got to, we've got to find that. You know, remember when you cared and you wanted all your family to be reached and, and you knew what you had was true and you prayed for your friends and, you know, people used to send letters to loved ones that they couldn't get to. And they tried. And, and, and you know, when you, when, you, when you get saved, nobody has to teach you that. It just comes, Right. You, you were trying to reach people for Christ before anyone ever told you you were supposed to reach people for Christ because you just knew what you had and you wanted to tell others. And I see that with our people. I spoke to one of the men who got saved, the boy as a soldier who was able to lead to Christ last year. He's now come on our staff and he's copped a terrible persecution from his family. But he went back, he went back. He was just there for three days. Then he'd been back in Nakansawan a day or so. I said, how'd it go with your family? And he said, well, it's okay. I said, did your dad talk to you? Because he'd been somewhat cut off. He said, he said yes, daddy talked to me. It was an attempt to use English. Daddy talked to me. I said, okay. I said, what did you, what did you, did you talk? What did you say? I tried to tell him. He said, I was in the car with my mother and my father, just the three of us. And he said, I said, Daddy, do you want to go to heaven? Now, you've got to understand the culture over there, the younger does not speak to the older about such matters. Do you understand that? The cultural norm is that this is not, you don't tell me. I'm your father, I tell you. I'm your father, I tell you what to believe. You don't tell me. That's how it works. And uh, so he said, Daddy, do you want to go to heaven? The doctors had given his father less than a year to live. And uh, I said, what did your dad say? He said, Daddy said to me, he will go to hell. And uh, I, I, he said, I asked him, why, why do you want to go to hell? And he said, Daddy said to me, I have to go to hell because of my sin. Now, this is a Buddhist. And if you, if you study their literature, you'll say, well, there's no heaven or hell in there. Yeah, but they all know it's there. They're smarter than people here. So you have to indoctrinate someone to tell them these things are not true because it's in us to know some of this stuff. And uh, he said, I have to go to hell. And he said, you don't, you don't have to go to hell. And uh, he talked to them and, you know, there's just something in a new believer well, this, it just spills out. And I, I wonder what it is that causes us to lose that. Maybe, maybe it's my, you know, maybe it's the next point. The next point why God used the donkey was this. The donkey kept trying even when he was being abused. You know, you know every time he tried to deliver Balaam, he'd get another slap. He'd get another kick in the head. Every time he tried to rescue that man, he wasn't, he wasn't greeted with a thank you, but he would get a further kick, a further thump. And maybe, maybe that's what it is, that, that we try to help people and what we get back sometimes is we just get back a kick. And, uh, and 
you wouldn't have blamed him if he stopped, but he didn't. In, in fact, he kept going to the point that he fell down under the weight. But he kept going and he kept trying. And that's why God used a donkey. Because he, he did what God asked him to do despite the kicks, despite the abuse. And maybe what happens is that just sometime we've allowed some of the rejection or the abuse uh, or the, the slaps and you start saying to yourself, you know, I'm trying to help these people. I'm, I'm paying a price to help these people. And I don't even getting back a thank you. I'm just getting back another kick. And sometimes if that happens enough, you know, we can, we can get a bit bruised and we can get a bit sorry and we can go silent. But we must not do that. We must not do that. Every time I've had a bad experience in Thailand with the Thai, and it hasn't happened much, I would say two times it was pretty ugly. Uh, but, but every time that's happened and I've gone to the point of, hmm, God has brought someone along or something along to refresh me and revive me and remind me, you don't quit over that, you need to keep going, the need is great, you need to keep speaking for me. And I believe that's kind of where we're at tonight. That, 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 that maybe we've all been a little bit bruised. And maybe if you look for a reason from people why you should speak and why you should keep going, maybe there isn't a reason from people. But there is a reason from the Lord. The Lord wants you to keep going. Je Jesus still has you here to keep speaking. And, and you, you need to ask, maybe God will just heal you and help you. You say, last time I made a call, the last time I tried, the last time I did this, this happened. And, you know, you just, you just stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep speaking for Christ and keep telling others. And I, I, wonder, I wonder tonight, I thought about this, I thought about the prayer that Pastor led us in last night. And I thought it was a good prayer. One of the things he said as we finished the meeting last night, he said, you know, he said, sometimes when we hear these things, uh, we know that, you know, God has spoken to us, but sometimes when we don't know what to do with it, it can just cause a bit of, well, what do you do with that? And I, I, thought, that was, I thought that was well said, because I think sometimes we do feel that way. We think, well, I know this is true, but what do I do? Let me put something to you tonight. Is there somebody tonight that you have made an attempt to reach, but you've kind of put it down again? Maybe it was poorly received. Uh, maybe, maybe it was worse than that. Maybe something happened. But, but would you be willing tonight uh, to try again to, to get back on the saddle to, for Christ? For Christ. And you say, oh, I'm not... I'm not particularly gifted in words, you don't have to be. Well, I, I'm not sure what I would say to them again. The Holy Spirit will give you that. But, but would you be willing tonight to say to the Lord, Lord, in the next 10 days, I'll pray and I will, I'm going to try to reach out again and I'm going to ask you to bless that and I'm going to just 
put it before you tonight. I'm going to bring their name to you tonight. Now, is there someone tonight that God is, or or, or a few, or, or maybe it's one, that God is saying to you, you know, don't let this go. I'm glad that people didn't give up on me. I was a nightmare for six months. Uh, I really was. I'm glad they didn't say enough's enough. Just just move on. Um, and I'm glad that someone stayed with the stuff. And someone who wasn't getting thank yous, they were getting kicks, but, they, but for Jesus' sake, they stayed with it. Maybe tonight God has impressed upon you someone. I'd like you to pray about that tonight. I'd like you to ask God, I'd like you to pray the prayer that I've prayed many times in my life. I've prayed about two things most of my life from a teenager. And the two prayers I've most prayed in my life is one, God, give me wisdom. I prayed that, I've prayed that hundreds, thousands of times. I prayed that because I knew I didn't have any. And I knew that if I was going to have anything, God would have to give it. But the second prayer I've prayed as many times as that is this one. God, use me. Use me. More than I've asked for anything, more than I've wanted any needs met, more than than petitioning for something, I've prayed, use me. Use me. Because I understood from a very early age of salvation that to be used of God was the greatest thing. It was, it was the greatest thing. And may, maybe you'd pray that tonight. God, God, use me. God, use me. Because it's often in a revival-type meeting or a meeting where we get together, the Holy Spirit just sort of moves around and he'll say, come on. And there's a wooing goes on. And there's a reminder. And it, it's a call to just... Just yield ourselves to belief again and yield ourselves to his working. I'm going to have an invitation tonight and I want you just to respond as you feel God has spoken to you. Uh, but that's why God used the donkey. There's more than that, but enough, enough. We, we get it, we can see. Let's go ahead and stand for prayer. Uh, as God puts somebody on your heart, uh, maybe it's just use me. Uh, go ahead and play the piano. Let's just take some time at the altar tonight if you want to do that. If you didn't want to come to an altar, no one would make you. But I think maybe you could maybe bring... So I've come to the altar with other people. I've said, God, it's for this one tonight. They're not here to walk an aisle, but I'll walk on their behalf. If God has spoken to you about someone, your prayer, use me, use me, Lord. Please just be tender to God's leading tonight. Uh, if you don't want to move, can I say, don't hinder someone else who wants to move. Because sometimes your attitude stops your wife. Because she can sense you're not budging and you don't intend to. But you will hold up other people sometimes who God is trying to speak to them. And you know, your kids learn from you. They learn. So, so please, just let God lead you. But would you be led of God? This is not a show for anyone. We're not counting and we're not, this is not a performance. But this is just, Lord, please use me tonight. Is there a name? Pray about someone. Would you make an earnest commitment tonight? It's private between you and the Lord. I'm going to try to reach out to this person. I'm going to try to do more in the matter of reaching men for Christ. Are you even carrying tracks? If I don't carry tracks, if you don't even carry tracks, what can you do? Do you have some tracks? Do you 
Are you trying? Would you give God something to bless? Would you just do something for the Lord? Just take your time to pray. Uh, we will not interrupt you. We'll have a song in a moment. Brother Paul, is he leading a song? Let's have a song leader come as well. And uh, just allow these folks to pray. Uh, if you've got nothing to pray about, I would covet your prayers. Uh, there's so much, there's such great need. And uh, we want to be used of Christ. If God can use a donkey, he can certainly use us. Brother Paul. <laughs> 